0: Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you all for joining us on our second annual Global ITAM Summit. Have a great panel, and I want to introduce everyone, and then we'll get started. We have Rory Canavan, Harinder Bonsal, Pam Fulmer, Pierce McDonald, Craig Garenti, Alexander Golab. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, I didn't go too fast on that. They each bring a different perspective, and so it's awesome. So Rory brings process uh, for the ITAM topics. Harinder is uh, IT procurement, so we haven't had that perspective on here before. So I look forward to hearing from you, Harinder. Pam brings a legal perspective, Pierce IBM licensing, Craig Oracle licensing, and Alexander Microsoft licensing. So let's get started, let's jump right in on this. Rory, and I'll kick this to you first and then we'll ask everybody, but what are some of the top trends in your area? So with respect to
2: processes, I think the way um, the the, the trend is going is that obviously once you have competent processes and that's the most important thing to to stress before we talk about uh, uh, going further, is that concept of automation. Um, and looking at things like robotic process automation and seeing rather than um, spending our lives in Excel, can we actually get products like Blue Prism, um, um, UiPath, cofax and and others, I should say, uh, just to be fair, um, see if we can build that integration between systems to stop us living in emails or living in spreadsheets or SharePoint, etc. Um, to um, streamline the transfer of data between systems, I think that, that would be it in a in a nutshell. If if that was a, okay for you,
1: yes, technology is going to be leveraged more in the future than ever before, and we're going to be figuring out how do we automate. The only caution I would ever throw out there is: make sure you optimize before you automate, or you're just going to have bad outcomes faster. And right, and. Absolutely. Uh, that happens to us all and it happens to us quickly. And, uh, cause we have that thirst for better, quicker, you know, all that sort of thing. Harinder, how about in your area? What are the top trends for procurement?
3: Top trend and it will always be at the top of the list most of the time in most teams is cost reduction. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, sorry, my daughter's coming in. Um, okay. Cost reduction is more of a priority than ever before. Um given that companies are fighting to survive due to COVID. But what I'm seeing is it's becoming increasingly on par with risk management um, more than ever. So I'm aware that some organizations out there understandably due to COVID are identifying you know onerous contracts that they may have. And I guess by definition, these will be contracts that are more costly to fulfill than the company will benefit from in return. So if we think about things that we sign up to, minimum spend commitments. Annual price increases, etc. Um, there is that uh, analysis going on. All right, she's out now. Sorry about that. Um, and I guess from this, they'll be able to assess, you know, what kind of contractual protections they may have to kind of exit those things, whether it's a, a force majeure clause uh, and so on. Um, naturally, this is going to have a huge effect on the supply chain up and down the country, the world, if you like, as companies are fighting to survive. I think. The next thing I'm seeing a lot of is there's uh, an increasing demand for IT procurement teams to perform more vendor management type activity to manage some of the key IT vendors of this world. So instead of just doing a deal, um, securing the benefits and then handing the keys over to someone else, we're asked to manage more of that in life activity. Um, And I guess by definition, vendor management is all about, as you all know, managing vendors to improve performance levels, maximize value for money, and work closely with IT to achieve um, a successful delivery on projects. We know that IT costs are rising um, generally um, within budgets. And so it's increasingly under the spotlight at board level. You know, IT costs are only going one way, for example. And um, so some of the things we're doing now is looking at index analysis, so market indices, so understand, should we be signing up to RPI, CPI, average weekly earnings? Uh, And I've actually done something recently with an internal economist to actually do some of that piece of work. Um, So yeah, costs are under, under the spotlight even more. And finally, I'll stop talking in a second, is we're being asked to run a lot quicker. So instead of looking at the traditional RFP processes around 60 page document goes out An RFP timeline is four weeks. We're looking at turning the process on its head now to to be more agile and adopt agile sourcing methodologies, mainly because IT teams need procurement to run faster than they have before. Um, So those are the key trends I'm seeing.
1: Those are all huge for most, especially the cost. And when you talked about vendor, it seems like every IT department is bringing on more vendors to handle more of the activities, which then even increases that need for having that function. Yeah, absolutely. Pam, how about in your legal area?
0: So I think you're going to see more and more software vendors becoming aggressive, just as aggressive as the oracles of the world. And I know we're gonna talk about like litigation you know, potential trends and, and audit trends uh, a little later, but I, I definitely foresee that, you know, there are software vendors out there that are sitting back and they're thinking, wow, um, why aren't we being as aggressive? Because it's obviously a lucrative model for a lot of companies. So what I think you're going to see is more and more companies just fighting back. And so you know, um, I think that uh, with regard to ITAM, you're going to see more and more companies getting really savvy and getting ITAM professionals in there before the audit hits. Um, and I think that's, that's a good thing. And companies need to be ready because, you know, the litigation, the audits are coming.
1: They are in the breakout session that Pam and I uh, will have here released in a few weeks. Delved into that, and I would tell encourage everyone to listen just because we talked about some of the legal uh, precedents and legal uh, goings on about what in this in this area. You know, Oracle. We'll get to Craig. is the one that is the lightning rod, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of other uh, there's a lot of other activity out there mm-hmm. in terms of audit and uh, legal activities. Pierce, how about in the IBM world?
4: Um, I guess. Sometimes a lot of it's the same old, and then of course there's a few variations. Uh, To Harindra's point about cost reduction, that is uh, very much on the agenda, which means that uh, first of all, senior management are pushing for cost reductions. They're just saying, we need to take 10, 20% of the cost out of the business across the board. And that's putting pressure, of course, on the IBM deals. Uh, What's happening there really is a couple of interesting things. First of all, you've got, enterprise the audits are back they took a a break there in 2020 um, but they're most certainly back that's fine that is to be honest anyone who's around uh, in 2010 uh, when we had the last big downturn knows this is where the whole um, vendor audit uh, business was born from when the pressure is on the downturn of the economy the uh, vendors will turn to the audits to encourage um, deals so no big change there. Um, interestingly, uh, I see significantly significant increase in adoption of IASP, which is the IBM approved uh, Samsung partner program. And the reason being that, for one simple thing, uh, it gives you audit protection. And organisations wish to take the uncertainty out of uh, of doing their deals, their ELAs. And, um, IBM have done quite a clever thing here really by, first of all, uh, although the number of partners are relatively narrow, they've actually broadened the number of tools that can be used, and this is a significant change. Uh, historically, IBM only uh, supported or allowed you to have subcapacity licensing for uh, Flexera and the BigFix ILMT combination. Now it's opened up to Snow, um, Satiro, to um, ServiceNow, and there's an ever-increasing list of vendors who, basically, if you manage, you can and you can manage your IBM uh, subcapacity licensing using those tools, but only if you're doing it within the, I guess, with the support of an ISP partner. So that I see as being uh, definitely an incentive uh, to take uncertainty out. of course then you can't get away from the new co old co uh breakup that's occurring um and uh what you'll see really happening there is a, a much already we're seeing uh the, the cloud press push i guess on uh cloud packs being the most obvious uh manifestation of that um and also in terms of just other services being offered around it. so i see that coming along as well Interesting on the downside, I think for IBM here though, and organizations are actually taking, um, now it must be emphasized, I work with generally very large organizations. So uh, for the smaller ones, they probably business as usual. But um, there's a, because of digital transformation, it's not that thing, IBM solutions are moving to the cloud, but they're actually being organization now considering, are, are they the appropriate fit at all? And um, so you have, what maybe you have an on-premise solution, talk of moving to the cloud, and then it's actually now what's happening is the conversations around, maybe we should be looking at an entirely different solution that's um, more cloud ready, and that's probably more modern. So uh, that's part of the, the, and other than that, of course, uh, you've got the HCL deals going on. This will be of interest to, legacy uh, product holders, and um, they are very active. They're promoting, uh, particularly they uh, they have about several hundred products are actually in their portfolio. Um, obviously the Notice Suite and uh, the Big Fix would be the most well-known, but they have many, many other ones. And they are promoting those, they're providing features and extensions to those and adding new services. So uh, expect if you have any of the HCL products that migrated across from IBM, you will be getting their attention and. Uh, and it is worth
1: looking at. They're putting some
4: very uh, interesting deals on the table. So um, there'll be some of the highlights.
1: The funny part to me on this is IBM says, you know, you can use more tools now that we sold the big fix, which is kind of, in, you know, a year, two years, three years later, right? That's kind of an interesting, you don't know if they were savvy enough to do it at the beginning. You, hey, this is our thought process or it just evolved. To me, that's fairly interesting.
4: It it is, and let's be honest. Subcapacity is is is, is the most important part of IBM licensing, and um, I don't believe that they will uh, let how would I say these these new tools be added into the into the fold without supervision, without having the assurance that uh, the IS ISP partners are watching over it, because the money involved is just too large. It's many many millions of dollars, and uh, subcapacity licensing must be managed well. Uh, so I'd say it's right now it's uh, under uh, guidance from, but one to watch, and it's also where the big savings will be.
1: I'm with you. How about you, Craig? Um, what are some of the trends in the Oracle world?
5: Well, you know, we can look at this from the client's point of view, and we can look at it from Oracle's point of view. I think from a client's point of view, uh, like Corinder mentioned, cost savings. Uh, we're seeing that every client wants to reduce their spend on Oracle. I mean, that's nothing new, but I think COVID has accelerated that this year. Uh, The other thing we're seeing from the client's point of view is obviously move to the cloud. But um, when I see it, it's more of a, they want the freedom to move to the cloud of their choice. So we see pretty much every client adopting a hybrid cloud environment. They're gonna have some things on-premise, they're gonna have some things on AWS. They're gonna have some things in Google. They're gonna have some, you know, they're just gonna be everywhere. And uh, some co-located uh, in other facilities and they want to be able to move those in and out. Uh, and it really depends on the sensitivity of the data and sort of the criticality to their business, how far outside of their walls they're willing to part with that. Uh, so, so cost savings and freedom uh, to, to sort of do what they need to do for their business. Uh, from the Oracle side, uh, it's interesting, you know, that the specific tactics always change, but the goal is always the same. It's to increase their annuity. You know, they want to drive revenue and lock in customers. I mean, this, they're a one trick pony, right? It's the same thing all the time. It used to be lock into database, lock into EBS, lock into Exadata. And now it's lock into cloud. So they'll use, you know, pretty much all of the tools that they have in their tool belts they'll, their contracts, their policies, their audits, their sales. Um, and their technology, you know, they'll, they'll promote, you know, ours is the best stuff. Um, So there's a, there's a conflict where customers want to reduce and Oracle wants to increase, obviously. So what we've seen Oracle doing is sort of promoting their deals as reducing your costs, but other people's costs. So we're going to help you spend less with IBM. We're going to help you spend less with AWS. We're going to help you spend less on, on your data center and your hardware, right? Uh, Not, less on us. So definitely uh, they're trying to sort of meet the client's needs of cost reduction while meeting their own needs of, of generating more and more revenue. So definitely, you know, for, you know, people think Oracle's pushing to the cloud. It's just Oracle's pushing to lock in customers further and increase their revenue. Just cloud is the newest, you know, shiny thing that Oracle is selling.
1: It's the vehicle. And I think where Pam, Pam beat you to the punch, they're also going to increase audits, right?
5: And we've seen that. Yeah. So, you know, we can see when customers hit our website and ask for help. So we're definitely, we saw uh, about a 40% reduction in audit support last year, 2020, um, because I think Oracle was auditing less and um, that's up this year significantly. So uh, we're going to make all that revenue back this year um, as, as Oracle really doubles down on their audits. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, we haven't seen it yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some Java audits this year.
1: And Craig and I go into Java on our one-on-one breakout session. And the Java scenario is very interesting to me because of how it came to be. And so not to tease it too much. Alexander, how about the Microsoft world? What are the trends?
6: I'll probably echo everyone here to say it's all about cost savings. I mean, it's always been like that, but let's, let's uh, uh, agree. But obviously I don't want to go about COVID and all that. You know, every, everybody understands that. But what's interesting is that Microsoft keeps just pushing in its direction, regardless of you know, COVID or not COVID. And obviously uh, work from home, exacerbated uh, accelerated, accelerated uh, transition into cloud and, and other mobile models which actually is, is good for Microsoft. And I think actually it's good for the customers. As long as you don't stick to kind of old ways and, and be very conservative, it, it, it's, it's all kind of like even a positive trend. But what's going on in the background is there's, uh, there's right now, no, no, there are no official announcements about a few things, but where, the, where there's a smoke, there's a fire. And what we're seeing is firstly, uh, it's, it's all related to the push to the, to, to the cloud. Uh, and to Azure and to the new licensing model, CSP, which is right now more uh, tuned for uh, small scale customers. But I know, I know, I can't disclose the names, but I know there are enterprises in, in the United States that migrated from the uh, you know, good and old uh, elephant of a Microsoft Enterprise Agreement to CSP with the numbers of hundreds of thousands of seats. Yeah. and. That's why Microsoft is pushing, but then again, it's not yet officially announced. And what, what I see is that, firstly, at the supplier front, service provider front, uh, no new service providers are being onboarded. So, so it, uh, you can you, you can see that. You know, you need to, you need to actually watch that. But but also some of the regions I talk to, uh, especially in in the in the Eastern Europe. They they just basically tell me uh, you know watch that space because we we we're not, we're not authorizing any of the new um, supply providers. That means that Microsoft is actually actually probably wants to uh, basically close the program somehow, wind it down, you know, m- m- reduce it in order to bring everything to Azure. And I'm seeing that from the other side as well. So I, I speak to providers and, for instance. Uh, in some of the regions, Microsoft just came to Australia and New Zealand with data centers. They, they suddenly increased the activity of you know, Splur audits. And what, what Microsoft do, Microsoft are not that nasty. They don't always uh, push the customer to actually pay uh, the audit fees. They then you know, can offer you commercial ways of fixing uh, the issue of relationship. And, and what I think we've seen there is uh, the result of those audits will be discussion about. How about you don't really pay us that money, but move your workloads, your customers' workloads, so as your still still being a supply provider, which is an interesting uh, uh, trend as well. The other thing that is pretty worrying, I mean, so, not, not worrying, I wouldn't say worrying, interesting to watch, is that Microsoft are reducing their uh, software assurance maintenance benefits. So, so for those who are not licensing uh, geeks. Uh, you buy a Microsoft license, and in most cases, when it's enterprise, you also have to buy some sort of maintenance. It's not, it's not compulsory. It's only compulsory in an enterprise agreement, but, 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 but companies are used to buying Microsoft licenses with that maintenance, with software shops. And What Microsoft packaged into that maintenance uh, were not only just licensing rights, and a lot of licensing rights, but also some uh, additional benefits like uh, deployment vouchers, training vouchers, additional perks—they've just been removed. To me, that almost like paves a way to actually getting rid of the good old Microsoft uh, Enterprise Agreement. That's what I think may happen. The Enterprise Agreement lobby inside Microsoft is incredibly strong, so they, they, that push has been uh, done many times. I, I think I think I heard in 2012 that Enterprise Agreement is going to be uh, replaced by MPSA. It didn't happen. Let's let's see because some tectonic shapes are certainly going on inside Microsoft. Some some holy cows are being touched, so uh, we'll see. That that's that's what the trend is, I think. And and in regards to uh, to audience, uh, you know, you would have thought Microsoft would increase audience activity uh, either through COVID period or now. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm hearing noises from various countries, you know, single countries that Microsoft audit there but it's not; it's not as it used to be it's not as it used to be the i think the only the only uh, companies that need to worry about all this right now are those cloud providers exactly for that matter because i think they will be pushed towards um, to, to, to move their w- workloads of their customers from uh, their data centers into azure and become just a service provider just basically just service provider no data center just services that's what i think is going to is going to happen my opinion
1: i'm with you especially you know, Microsoft doesn't need to audit very much if they move you to o 365 from legacy, and now it's on the uh-huh. customer to worry about the efficiency of it, and they're going to push that all the way down. You know, what yeah. I mean, as as you move that. All right, let's get into second question, and how do you expect your niche area to come out of the pandemic? You know, I think every every area is going to come out of this differently, and uh, let's start with Craig. How about, what do you think for Oracle side?
5: Well, I think Oracle, like we've mentioned, is going to hit the gas pedal on uh, audits. So I expect, um, you know, for us, you know, business to be good. <laughs> I think that uh, clients will be kept busy by Oracle. I think it's it's getting more complex for them to to manage all of this, especially with one vendor. Um, so, you know, I, I don't see the kinder and gentler Oracle emerging from the pandemic. I don't oh how we we want to make up for all of our past deeds uh, so i think they're just going to you know they just announced earnings yesterday and they beat the streets yet again uh, it is a money making machine so until someone can displace them they're just going to keep doing what they're doing right you know i remember when i started the company in 2011 people were saying you're you're going to be around for about a year or two cuz then cloud's going to change everything it's going to make everything so easy no one's going to need your services I was like, okay, and, and they're still saying that. Just give it two more years and this is all going to be automated. And it's, so um, we, we expect you know to be able to help more customers and, and, and them to need us because the, re- the cost reduction emphasis is going to continue. That uh, is, and it, like Alexander said, it's been there forever, but it's really been accelerated.
1: It's interesting in that regard. And I appreciate your Oracle perspective, Craig, just because it's the elephant in every room. And, uh, you know, because when we talk about cost pressures and render brought it up, it's because organizations go, okay, who's my top five spend on licensing top 10, whatever it is, Oracle's always at the top, IBM's at the top, Microsoft's usually at the top. And so those are the reasons bringing in these experts, because that's, you know, leadership says, okay, these bigger numbers, I think we can save more big, you know, it doesn't have to be as big a percentage, but to get a better outcome. I'm sorry,
5: ultimately at all of these vendors, there's no one who works at that vendor that makes more money if you spend less money with that vendor, right? All the salespeople (laughs) there to drive revenue, right? So, and that's what you have to understand when you're dealing with any of them.
1: Oh, yes. There, you know, I, I, I say this often. We all do what we're incentivized to do. Yeah. It, you know, we're we're like Pavlov's dog in that regard. Pierce, how about you? What, how do you expect uh, the IBM world to come out of this?
4: Um, well, we talked about the audits. So that that's going to return to normal levels. I don't actually see it, an increase; just normal levels. It's uh, they have a very efficient uh, way of reviewing and managing their IP. Um, So that's the first bit. Uh, The second part I think is going to be, uh, hopefully they'll get a new name for NuCo as a branding project for somebody. Um, The next one's going to be really about uh, the, the push to cloud, dual licensing, cloud packs, and other combinations of those kind of move to the cloud type offerings are going to be very much offered now, particularly the dual licensing. Um, you're going to see, a bit like Alexander's comment about Software Assurance, you're going to get less and less in your uh, s uh, which is essentially your support subscription that you pay for your perpetual licenses. Um, we already got early warning of that uh, at the tail end of last year, where essentially they have removed the discounting that used to come with it. So the, the ban discounting is now for about over a thousand products is just gone. Um, so, also, um, I would be expecting, although there's a standard increase of around between 3 and 5% annually, anyone renewing in ELA can expect that to hit in the region of 20 30%. Um, and you'll be getting very little, really, for your band discounts. Uh, IBM provide bands, and you get a certain percentage off, the higher, the more you spend. Um, those bands you're not really going to be getting that much in it so it's going to be very much about preserving and increasing the deal size and uh yeah that'd be the main trends just the move to cloud uh would be that is going to be it and um obviously promoting more and more services with their um um, ai and their bi product suites which are very good
1: oh yes how about you pam how do you expect the legal proceedings especially in this area Whether it's audit or something else to come out of this pandemic, you know, I expect some acceleration.
0: Yeah, I I do too. And I think that what you're going to start to see is more um, uh, licensees, you know, customers bringing actually declaratory relief actions in court to try to get a judge, give them a declaration that they're actually not in breach of the license agreement. Um, Because it seems like what I'm seeing across all different software vendors that we, we deal with, because we do deal with others besides Oracle, is that they're not really looking at where software is being used. They're trying to basically come up with where it could be used. And even though the license agreement doesn't require you to pay a licensing fee for where it could be used, um, they're taking the position that you still have to pay up anyway. And you know, there will be more and more companies because of this resource issue. Um, The pandemic has caused people to be very worried about costs, as we've discussed, and companies are not going to pay the extortion payment anymore. I think they're going to be more willing to go to court, and then the software publishers are going to have to deal with some of these unsavory practices being exposed during discovery, and so... I actually think one of the only ways to kind of change things is for more companies to actually file lawsuits against these aggressive software publishers um, if they won't back off and reach a reasonable deal. And so, you know, we've been able to counsel and, and help our clients so that we've avoided litigation and that's been great. But, you know, if if the big publishers continue these aggressive tactics. Um, It's going to I think they're going to end up in a lot more litigation than they have thus far,
1: especially with the cost pressures. Right. I mean, you know, the organization saying we're 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 not in breach. We're doing what we're supposed to. This is undue pressure. Alexander, how about you? Coming out of this pandemic.
6: Yeah, it depends on the perspective. You know, where, where the customers are exiting, uh, that's an interesting interesting place because, well, firstly, uh, because everybody had to switch to work from home. Uh, you probably know that IT, in in the real world, IT is always uh, a couple of step steps ahead than the licensing team of the same company. Yes. So what may have happened is some things may have been deployed to allow people work from home. And in, micro, in Microsoft world, with the desktop software, uh, working from home, uh, licensing rights are a bit different. A bit different, maybe more expensive, maybe more complicated, but they're different. So that that's one of the areas to watch. And and I think uh, I'm not expecting you know harsh audience for Microsoft. I, I, and if you look at Microsoft, they they've been pretty stamp, stable through throughout like the, the the last few years. Nothing really has changed during during COVID from the Microsoft side. And, and uh, during the pandemic, and, and I don't expect anything anything drastically changing in, in that regard I- inside Microsoft. Uh, it's just, I if I was a customer, I would I would really just right now look at what I've done and try and tie the knots and you know cross the t's, dot the i's, uh, and the other big area to watch for is, I think it applies to every vendor. Uh, many many customers were given free perks during the pandemic. You know, free free conferencing, free something else. Even you know, with the Microsoft software, that's not going to remain free. It was a temporary discount. And if you're locked in, you have to be aware that at some point, it will become a paid feature. What if you already adopted it? You need to be ready for it. I'm not necessarily saying you now have to remove it. Just think about: do you do you get business value out of that? And if you do. Than, than just calculate how much it's going to cost you, but if you're not getting a lot of business value, I would start, you know, uh, try getting rid of that now, before before you you hit with a new bill. So I, I think I think that's what that's that's where uh, not only Microsoft every every, every vendor is affected yep. somehow.
1: And I would even I'm going to pile on and then move to a render here, but I think that the emergence of Teams and how Microsoft is integrating it with everything, including SharePoint and every OneDrive, everything, you know, depending on your 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 usage, I expect the licensing to change because whenever whenever an organization, whenever a publisher integrates as much as possible, it's going to drive some licensing changes. That's just a perspective that I've seen play out as much as possible. Let's hook everything together and then figure out how the how to make the most money off of it. How about you, Harinder? How do you expect the procurement side, uh, cost pressures is also right, but you know, as we come out of this pandemic, what are you expecting uh, the procurement side to have a focus on?
3: I think it's fair to say this pandemic has just caused a shock for everyone, every department, let alone procurement, every department in every company. In every country, so I think, from a general perspective, and almost on a positive note, it, it's allowed procurement teams to rethink their value proposition. What's our why? What are we here to do? So COVID has really prompted procurement to start thinking about designing. I think procurement teams of the future, um, cost reduction shouldn't be the only driver that we're we're trying to achieve. Um, reliability, innovation. You know how we tap into that from our supply base. Risk management and inventory challenges and time to market, these should be considerations that should be our KPIs or our menu of services back to the business and to support them on that journey. Um, you know, especially as the UK, for example, is going through Brexit. So something like inventory, depending on the category, would be, be critical. I think, secondly, um, thinking about ITAM, for example, given the rise, as you all know, with certain vendors and our auditing clients more and more. I expect procurement and ITAM professionals to form strong internal partnerships more than ever going forwards. Um, it's it's so important for both teams uh, to complement each other's expertise and skill set. So you go into these supply negotiations or conversations together, knowing what your game plan is. You know we can't have procurement um, potentially signing up to renewal when you know you haven't got half the kit on on. Uh, on the, the premises anymore, for example. We need to know what we actually have versus what we contracted for in the past. And I think the final point is cloud computing. Um, given the rapid rate of adoption of cloud computing, it's a, a rising uh, IT cost for most companies. Um, it's it's a relatively new area for procurement in the sense that it's it's not something we've traditionally managed before within our teams. So it's important that we work with fellow um, cloud cost management professionals to improve our understanding on the nature of variable um, uh, spend models that cloud brings. So it's, uh, I see it as a, a development opportunity for us. Um, so if you think about the traditional IT consumption models around, you know, you raise a PO, you buy a server farm, um, everything's predictable, the costs are known up front, depreciation is known, there's no changes after approval. That's something we've always been used to up until now. Moving forwards, developers can click a button and they can buy cloud space tomorrow. Finance have less visibility and they learn after the fact. Uh, Procurement are used to managing all of the buying, but now have less involvement. So this presents new opportunities and challenges. At the same time, the spend is more dynamic and we need to ask ourselves, how are we gonna get our heads around this to understand this area better, to demonstrate that it's been managed well? So I think, it's kind of a side of the pandemic, but it's it's more important than ever to understand this area, given the rapid uh, adoption of cloud computing.
1: I would to pile onto that. I think in every world, this pandemic's given us an opportunity to look at things with new eyes, and uh, it's been quite the opportunity. Uh, Rory, how about you? What do you expect uh, the process side to come out of this pandemic?
2: Well, if um if, if the, the previous guests um, are in, in any way right, and I'm sure they are, they've been in the business long enough, the idea that we have these um, increased audits, um, I think the idea is going to be uh, companies are going to be in a position where they don't want to be sideswiped anymore. They, they didn't in the past, but I think if there's going to be an uptick in audits, um, they're going to be more sensitive uh, to uh, to the financial penalties that are going to result off the back of these audits, and it's a case of we don't want this to happen again. And there's a fair chance. Uh, I say this always, regardless of COVID or or whatever time in Sam. If you're not managing Oracle well, for example, there's more than a fair chance you're not doing a great job with IBM or Microsoft. Yeah. So to that point, it's it's the system, it's the solution, it's 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 how all those processes fit together to form a solution around how you manage software generally, as opposed to few we got through that elp or few we got through that audit you know that's it's it's not a 10k race this is this is a program this is this is a marathon you've got to you've got to stay the course i think
1: yes and to your point and i i know this comes out in at least one of the breakout sessions is if one of the software vendors you pick any of them you don't do well on that audit you can bet you're going to have another one showing up at your door very soon and uh do you all agree with that with the head nods and you know if people if it word gets out that your house is not in order you will have a lot more activity than you realize and if you do word gets out that you do have uh your ducks in a row maybe audit activity isn't as extreme so so let's the last question as we wrap up and i thank all the guests and we'll have breakout sessions go deeper in each area but I'll start, with, I'll start with Pam here, because her legal profession, the side for how it looks at this is so unique. And what's the one thing the audience could know better about having legal representation as it deals with these software publishers in other areas?
0: So I think that when people think about hiring lawyers, there's a concern that then it gets escalated within the vendor and then that things go off the rails. But actually that's been the opposite of my experience. And so oftentimes the law law department is actually more reasonable because they realize that there's risk involved. Whereas the salesperson may be reluctant to give up a sale. But, you know, I think that we add value um, because we're able to advise our clients on how to communicate back to um, to the software publisher. Uh, in written communications, and we develop a record that if there is a dispute, um, shows that the customer was cooperative um, and was was complying with the audit provision, but was not going to be, you know, just basically extorted into paying some huge payment that they didn't owe. So I think that you know we work with our experts to, to basically analyze those situations and provide advice that best sets up the, the client to exit the audit you know, without a lot of damage. Obviously, if we're brought in at the beginning, um, then we can really shape how that transpires. Um, but if we're just brought in when the you know, shock number in the audit report you know, hits the president's desk, (laughs) you know, a lot of damage has already been done. So I would say that, you know, you definitely wanna seek professional help, um, uh, technical professionals as well as legal professionals when dealing with these these publishers, because if you don't, I believe you are at a significant
1: disadvantage. I agree, especially when there's millions of dollars at stake. Rory, I'll kick it back to you.
2: So, um, just remind me of the question again, Jeffrey. My apologies.
1: <laughs> what could the audience know better about your uh, about having process expertise?
2: Okay, so I think I think the, the takeaway from uh, from the process side of life is just to think not. It's not enough to have a process. It's to make sure that that process is a aligned to IT or business goals wherever possible, and B is generating key performance indicator data to demonstrate whether it's running well or not. Um, ultimately you want to get Sam to a point where you're, you're almost, you're, you're looking at those figures. You're not, you're not trying to solve Sam by reverse engineering the red or black figure at the bottom of an ELP. If you are, you've already lost. Because the data that goes towards that ELP is shaped through the processes that manage the system.
1: Garbage in garbage out. Let's Absolutely. that. Uh, let's fix the inputs and the activities and, uh, so the, you know, it's all a process. And so I agree with you because that's how it is in every other part of our life. And if the process doesn't change, the results won't either. How about you, Herander? What could people learn uh, or know more about the IT procurement side?
3: Um, yeah, good question. I guess um, IT procurement's role is to work with the business to maximize value in its third-party contracts. The key is to work with the business in partnership. And from what I'm seeing um, out there, high-performing IT procurement teams um, work with the business to develop things like vendor-specific negotiation strategies. Uh, They're continually learning about different commercial models, including uh, consumption models, to remain up-to-date with their knowledge. Um, And so IT procurement are trying to position themselves as the the in-house commercial advisors, if you like, for anything to do with uh, supply negotiation or how to approach something differently or how to turn around poor performance. So it's really that positioning really and um, being that internal advisor.
1: And scope is increasing rapidly as different kinds of technologies are brought on board. You bet. How about you, Craig?
5: Well, I was struck by what Pam was saying about getting help earlier rather than later. I think that's that's true uh, for what we do as well. Um, we're often de-escalating situations after they've gone off the rails, um, you know, before they get to the legal departments. Let's say, but um, you know, the vendors. What I would tell folks is vendors have crafted their technology and their contracts and their policies to fine-tuned to benefit the vendor and uh, um, most companies are simply overmatched when if you're going to for tat against a, a vendor on their agreements and their policies and what's not in their agreements. Uh, so, you know, you, you just need to get some help. Um, you know, you'll need less help earlier in the process and you'll need more help later in the process, depending on sort of where your pain point of, of tolerance of pain is uh, dealing with that vendor. Um, so, you know, earlier the better, um, but, the other part of it is it's never too late, right? Even when you get that final report from the vendor, it says final report, it's never final, right? It's never final until both parties agree that it's final. So um, it's never too early and it's never too late. Is that helpful? Very, <laughs> get help.
1: very. And the other piece to that is help in all kinds, everybody on the panel adds ROI to the equation. And so it should be looked at as an investment and I even think of like internal procurement, or is there because it provides an ROI, it provides value to the stakeholders. How about you, Pierce? How about with IBM?
4: I guess to take away a couple of points. First one would be, uh, you have an opportunity now with COVID here, and it's a chance for you to go back and look at the IBM renewals, particularly the SNS renewals that have been done annually. No one's ever looked at them really. They just rolled them over because they have been there forever. There is some significant savings there. To spend in IBM, particularly in SNS, is very often you know quarter million, half million, maybe much more, depending on what you've got. There's an opportunity. If you want to find a saving, there's a nice big number hiding in there. Be it on products that are not deployed, no longer used, no longer supported, even that they're you're just paying money for nothing for. That's the first big thing I would say. Go look. Great opportunity. With regard to subcapacity licensing, there's an opportunity and a risk there. I would go and challenge the team who manage those that ILMT, the tools that are used for measuring your usage, to really look closely at that. There's savings if they're configured correctly. Very, very large savings again because of the licensing rules. Just doing that well, but also uh, to, uh, to Craig's point there. Get spot that problem early. If you find you are over deployed or have broken the rules or deployed it in a way that doesn't comply, you have time. So make sure you get that time. And the last piece is if you are going to be entering an ELA, apart from take plenty of time to prepare for it, know that with a little bit of help, but even just that preparation, you can push back and significantly reduce those numbers. Um, although you'll be outgunned from the um, licensing side, you have more information on the deployment and this, and by being prepared and going in confidently, you can push those numbers down and you don't have to just accept the figure that's presented to you.
1: They're my to, takeaways. Yes, and to your point, it kind of goes into what Rory was saying, is if we are always understanding our license position, we are prepared for when the audit does come and we understand you know, if we're over-deployed, we before they come and knock on the door, we can either buy more or you know, address it in a different way.
4: Of course.
1: And so it's always good to be ahead of it. Alexander, what should people need to know from the Microsoft point of view?
6: I'd like to make it a bit contextual because uh, going back to what I said before, so uh, really just look, what you've, <laughs> look what you've done, look at what you've done, look at what you've changed, and, and start uh, talking, surround yourself with SMEs. It doesn't necessarily always have to be paid. I mean, we all would like to be paid for our services, but some, some service could be, could be uh, you could get almost for free from your licensing resellers, LSPs. Uh, look at what's, what's happening, look at how it affected you, and, and, and look at the perspective. Realize that Microsoft usually start negotiations and preparations 18 months prior there's a T-minus 18 formula in regards to Microsoft. 18 months prior to your uh, agreement renewal. So they, may, they already probably know what they are using. They're already probably going to use that against you because they have, they have this increased target, 15 to 20% from, from, from EA cycle to EA cycle. Obviously, uh, in, in the current times, looking at what's going on, look at the Microsoft uh, customer agreement, MCA slash CSP, Uh, It may be beneficial for you. You don't necessarily have to stick to the old ways and enterprise agreement. It's not necessarily the best uh, solution right now, considering that lots of things are not really, it wasn't designed for Azure. It wasn't designed for Office 365. Uh, Therefore, maybe there's something better that can work for you. Then again, surround yourself with SMEs. Ask questions get get answers and get to the a row, Microsoft, you know, you can you can potentially, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone, but you can potentially consider getting rid of IBM. You can potentially get rid of Oracle. But Microsoft is there with you. There's, there's almost no way you can you can have a business without some sort of Microsoft presence in it. So it, it's here to stay. If you have a business, you have Microsoft software. So the, that's it. Just just look at where you are right now. Exiting pandemic, get to tax row. That's That will, that will be my, uh, my, my main advice here.
1: Well, I thank everyone for their comments. It's uh, such a big panel. It takes a while to get through all the questions, but I thank everyone, and uh, I thank our audience for participating, and look for the one-on-one breakout sessions with this panel in the coming weeks as uh, we'll release one a week. I hope everyone has a great day, and I do thank you all for sharing your expertise. Bye all. Thanks. We'll be back with Jeffrey's Closing Thoughts. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being a part of our Global ITAM Summit, second anniversary. I'm so excited. Today's panel was a great discussion. In the coming weeks, and I mean several weeks, we're going to have a breakout session with one of the guests on the panel and possibly one or two more that are sharing their knowledge, helping us understand a different part of the IT asset management world, both hardware and software. We're talking process side, licensing, all of that. And so I invite you and encourage you to check us out each week as we have a new video on YouTube, a new podcast on all of the main platforms. Those come out every week, at least for the next several, and I mean several, because each of our panel members will have a breakout session where we talk in depth about their area of expertise just to share knowledge, just to be a rising tide in this world to help each other along. And so we, we encourage that. We also ask that if you have feedback for one of the guests or myself even, please pass that along and uh, follow our company page at Service Management Leadership on LinkedIn, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our, our podcast platforms, Also, if there's anything that service management leadership can do for your organization to accelerate your transformations, help in a service management, asset management, or business continuity area, please let me know. We uh, have helped a lot of people, and we look forward to helping you. I hope you have a great, great day. Bye.